try, we daily fall short of what God expects of us. But he promises in the Bible that if we confess our sins, he will forgive them. Please join me in our prayer confession. Sovereign Lord of the universe, we come to you into your presence admitting there are many decisions and actions that we take every day without considering if it is your will or not. We admit there have been times we have overridden your plan because it wasn't convenient or we felt it wasn't in line with where we wanted to go. There were other times we didn't obey because our fears won out and we were afraid of the ramifications of following your will. Oh Lord, how we need you to forgive all our sins and install a heart of obedience in your will and ways. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Our assurance of forgiveness 
This morning comes from 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And our guidelines for living also comes from 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Thank you, Scott. Let's continue our worship as we sing about the power of God's love. Let's stand together as we sing.
want to read? Standing on the Promises was written in 1886 by Kelso Carter. <coughs> Mr. Carter based the hymn on 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. Speaking of our Lord Jesus, Peter wrote, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and, goodly and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Carter reminds us that Christ's promises cannot fail, and that when we stand on those promises, we also cannot fail. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these wonderful promises that you have given to us. How blessed we are, and that we are not on shaky ground, but we're on that solid foundation. Thank you, Lord, for those gifts you've given to us. Please accept these gifts as these your people give them out of their hearts and desire to honor you and to love you. And it's through Jesus we give them. Amen. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you today that we stand on those promises and your promises that you will remember and that you will answer our prayers and that you know our hearts even before we say them. But as a good, loving, heavenly Father, you care about us and you care about our expressing them and also giving them over to you. And today, Heavenly Father, we come to you for our nation. 
We are so grateful that we are born in America and so many blessings that we have. We give you praise and honor and thanksgiving for all that you've done. We thank you for the early fathers of this nation who formulated and founded this nation on principles of scripture. And they put together a constitution and also the Declaration of Independence and all those beautiful documents that were framed through your word. And I just pray for our nation that we will continue to walk in those paths. I pray that you'll be with our new president and for the Congress, the new Congress, and also, too, for the judicial branches of government. We just pray that they will take seriously their responsibilities and do them correctly and honor you. We pray also, too, Lord, about the many of the craziness that's going on in our society right now and the changes that have been so radical. But we know, Lord, that you're in control and that we don't have to fret or worry and that, Lord, you'll give us direction and that you'll give us wisdom. And we pray also, too, that you'll give them direction and wisdom. We pray also, too, for our congregation, for those that are uh, in, uh, staying in their homes because they can't get out or because of the COVID or because of their health. I think of Lucille and for Kay and for Joyce and for Mary and for Kevin and for Frank Wonka, Lord, just continue to heal him. We pray also, too, for my cousin's son, Tommy, who's a pastor in New Jersey and uh, had to have a liver transplant Monday. I just pray that that liver will continue to remain in his body and bring healing and that he can go home to his wife and two little boys and then also to his congregation. I pray also, too, Lord, for those that we pray uh, that have cancer. I think of Betty and Howard, Lord, who continue to battle theirs. And for also, too, for uh, Joyce. And I also pray, Father, for Susie and for her trip uh, to Nebraska this week. Keep her safe. We pray also, too, for um, Dan. And I pray also, too, for those that we know that are dealing with addictions. I pray for Mitch and Ryan and Jordan and uh, Dana and Brady and uh, Eric and also Ricky. They're under that crunch, Lord. And I pray also, too, for Ann and Amy. And we also pray for Everett and Sharon, who have COVID right now. Lord, just be with them and continue to give them strength and bring healing to their bodies and for others that we know. We want to pray also for the McReynolds family, for our sister Jean and her daughters and family who lost Ron this past uh, two weeks, Lord, and uh, bring comfort and healing to their hearts. And Father, we pray for others that maybe we couldn't uh, put in the bulletin or write down, Lord, but hear our prayers as we lift them up to you. Thank you, Father, for being here now. And send your Holy Spirit upon us so that we can hear what you have to say through your word. Help my bumbling and stumbling lips to make sense to these people's hearts. And that each one of us will come away from something that we needed today. That your Holy Spirit will convict us or give us new insight into situations or uh, how to handle situations. Lord, and give us faith to trust you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever heard of the phrase, one person's junk is another person's treasure? 
Well, <clears throat> in Minnesota, an 85-year-old woman passed away. And all her possessions were given to her own sole survivor, which was a young woman who was single, didn't have the time to deal with it, but she had to, to dispose of all the items and sell the house. And so she decided to bring some of her friends up and have a garage sale. And sure enough, there was a man who was going through the garage sale items, and he saw this box that was full of cards and assorted papers and whatnot. And he went up to the lady and he said to her, how much for the box of goodies? She said, a dollar. Well, he was shaken. He couldn't believe what she had said to him. And he dug in his pocket and pulled out the dollar and gave it to her and left. And when he got home, he decided to go to a card dealer because the cards that he had were baseball cards. And they were dated back to 1920. Some of them were in mint condition. One of them was Babe Ruth's rookie year. And when he had them evaluated, they came to the number of $475,000 was in that box. He was thrilled. And as we see, one man's junk is another man's treasure. We're going to see that today. As we consider what Peter has to say, Peter, we know, have been going through the series of strangers in the world that we live in. Do you remember Peter's situation? He is writing to a group of people in Southeast Asia who are being persecuted by the Romans because they are running from the Romans. The Romans, through Nero, had the city and was working on burning the city of Rome, but people were getting wind that he was burning it, and Nero didn't want that. The populace was getting upset with him, and so he needed a scapegoat, and guess what? He chose the Christians to be his scapegoat. And what he did is he began this punishing them and claiming that they were the ones that had burned Rome and set Rome on fire, and that he would have to build this new Rome and they were really buildings that he wanted to make himself almost like God and to live in infamy. And so they continued to burn Rome, but they continued to call the Christians as the scapegoats. Some of them were burned. They were wrapped alive in skins of animals and dipped in oil and then burned as his garden at night to light the fires of the parties that he had. Some of them were dragged behind chariots. Others were stoned to death. Others were put into the lion's uh, coliseum, and they were basically eaten, and it was sport in Rome to watch the Christians get eaten or be chopped up by gladiators. This is was the pout of the, this was the, uh, what was going on for Christians. And Peter wanted to encourage them how to withstand that and how to continue to fight the battle of Christianity and be faithful to Jesus and not cower out. And so we know, we saw in that first chapter how Peter writes to them and said to them they were called people. They were a special people who Jesus died for, who the Father sent Jesus to die for their sins and to wash them with his blood, and that the Holy Spirit would come along and live inside them, and that no one could ever take away the salvation that they had. And that they could fight the good fight as Christians because they had this wonderful hope and promise in them. And they did. And because of that, 
Peter now continues to help these Christians learn how to survive and stand and fight for the faith that they were given by Jesus Christ. And Peter comes and he says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now notice what Peter says, long for the pure milk of the word. When I was a baby, my mother said, I was born 10 pounds, 14 ounces. My mom was only 5'3", so that was a challenge for her. But if you look at my picture, some people think that I was a bowling ball born with a smaller body. And I loved milk. You know, some kids, they didn't like milk, and they had to have stuff put in it to make them want the milk. I loved to eat, and I loved milk. And you could show it. You could see how... Some of you called me the Pillsbury Doughboy, but anyway, when I was this baby, and I was huge. And one of the things that our Bible says to us today, that we as Christians should want that milk of the word in our lives. Peter is saying to us, we should strive to want it like a baby does its milk for its nutrition and to get the most out of it to make us with strength so that we can carry on, that we submit to it. And Peter says, and he starts this off though, with the therefore, which talks about everything that he's spoken about in the first chapter. But then he says, put aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Now Peter understands that in our relationships, that in order for us to have it right horizontally with God, we need to have it right vertically, or vertically, horizontally with people. And that we need to have it right with them. And these things that Peter speaks about should not be any part of our lives. That we should not allow them to be part of us. And that the Bible demands that. And that we don't be too faced. We're not to be too faced. We're not to be people who cover up things or lie about things. And he begins this list. Malice. These are evil actions and characteristics of what the pagan world was like. And we as Christians should not allow them to be part of our life. And he's using a general term. And basically what malice is, is that we want to hurt somebody. Put a hurting on them with the words and deeds that we say. It speaks about a smoldering resentment inside of our hearts that causes us to lash out at others. Peter is a fisherman. He knows how easy it is for us to be hooked in. How hypocrisy can easily pull us into its wave. How deceit can put a worm on a hook and make a fish think that it's a worm and pulled in to this dishonesty. And Peter goes on to say that envy, one of the seven deadly sins, envy that lasts inside of us as Christians, a sin that stems from jealousy. 
over the success of other people or the happiness of someone else. And we find ourselves getting happy when we see somebody have a misfortune. That's envy. It's a poison of our soul, Peter says. And it can easily turn into resentment or anger or jealousy or miserable or critical people. He goes on to slander, which is the talking down about somebody. It includes gossiping and backbiting and all kinds of rumors that are set afire. We look at the internet and how oftentimes children are bullied on the internet because of such slander that is given to them. But it happens with adults too. We know that. And Peter says, you've got to stop this. He says, if you don't have this horizontal thing right, you're not going to have this right. The Bible tells us if we say we love our brothers, but we don't have this right, this is not going to be right, our relationship with God. And what we have here is I've seen it happen. You have too. I've seen it happen in churches. When I started out in the ministry, I had a friend that started out the same time with me in a church nearby myself in New Jersey. And the people decided they were going to build a new porch because it was falling apart in front of his parsonage or the, the church pa pastor's house. And so they knocked it down, and his two little children were sitting in the door listening through the screen. And he heard these deacons mocking their dad and putting them down in front of them. Or I can tell you another situation that happened in this church. Two people, two families had a disagreement in the church. And at that time, we had to set up our equipment every week. And one day, these two families got into it in the parking lot. I tried to resolve it and tried to piece all about it. And by the end of the week, I got a letter in the mail saying this one family was not coming back to our church. And when we went back on Sunday to set up for worship, our equipment had been sabotaged. Some of the equipment was broken. And some of the stuff was cut. And it really upset me because we couldn't accuse that person of doing that. We had a good idea that that's why our equipment was wrecked, because he didn't get his way. I can tell you the way to handle this and the right way to handle it was what watch, watch my dad. One day at a consistory meeting, they had a board meeting of their church, and it was on a Saturday morning that they had a huge disagreement, and my dad had a disagreement with this one fellow, and they were pretty much at each other's bucking horns. And on Sunday, we're supposed to have communion. And my dad and this fellow both did not take communion because they knew they needed to get this right in order to get this right. And until they got that right, this right, they realized that they should be hypocrites by taking their communion. And after church that Sunday afternoon, the pastor and these two men, my dad and this other fellow, got together and they worked out their differences. 
and agree to disagree and, and to love each other in Christ and forgive each other for some of the things that they thought or said about each other. See, that's the way we get this right. I can tell you when my mother and father had an argument before they went to church. And there were times they didn't take, either one of them took communion. And then after church, they got it straightened out. That's the way to handle it and to do it in Jesus Christ. Because the word of God tells us that that's the way to handle it. To go to each other and work it out in the love of Christ. And the word is like that. When the word becomes our milk to us, that gives us the strength that we need to change. And to be different than the world. And to not hold grudges, but to love one another in Christ and get those things. And the devil loves it when we disagree and continue to hold grudges. But that's not the way. Malice, hypocrisy, deceit, envy, those things are not to be part of us. And the Bible says it in Matthew, Jesus said it. He says, if you have something against a person, go to them. If they don't want to work it out, bring somebody with you and work it out. Before you go to church, before you go to worship. And that's the way God does it. He wants us to do it. And then we're also to work then. To love one another in the faith and build ourselves up in, you know, you can read the Bible and you can pray all you want, but if you don't get this right out with other people, you're not going to help this until you get this straightened out. And Peter is talking to a group of people that are infighting. You know how it is when sometimes there's tension in the body or tension in your home and you're both uptight and it's easy to get into an argument with each other to relieve that tension. And Peter's saying, no, that's not the way to handle it. Work it out. Come before God and follow what the word of God says, the pure milk of the word. And you see, that pure milk of the word is supposed to give us the nutrition, the strength to be able to battle the difficulties in this life, but also in ourselves. Dwight L. Moody said, you know who the person he has the most trouble with? Himself. And that's what we have in ourselves. We have sinful natures. And sometimes we want it our way. We don't want to see it anybody else's way. And the Bible says that's not the way to handle it. We're to resolve this and not say mean or slanderous things or anything. We are to go before God and work it out together in the love of Christ. And the way to do that is to have a solid foundation in Christ. And how do you do it? Peter's first thing is, says, go after the pure milk of the word. Want what God wants. And you take in God's word. And you want more and more what God, because you know it's right. And that you have the strength and the nutrition to battle that in your life. And to trust him, no matter what befalls. Now, when we don't do that and we try to handle these things in our own strength and in weakness and we don't have the nutrition of the word of God, we are going to sin and we're going to hurt people and we're going to disappoint people and we're going to break people because we want to win. And Peter says, no. You know, it's sad when we as Christians don't take this milk, and use the nutrition that God has given to us. 
I saw this in person one time at, in a very physical way. Some of you maybe have watched on TV a fellow by the name of Harry Smith. He used to be on CBS Morning Show. He was 17 years, he was the host of that. And after that, um, he's now become a correspondent with MSNBC and NBC and, um, and his, those affiliates. He's gone over to the other channel. But I went to high, uh, college with Harry Smith, and we played football together. And Harry Smith was a jock, but he wasn't a real, totally a big jock. Harry was about 6'3", and he weighed about 250 pounds. And uh, he played on our defense, and he was um, two years ahead of me. I was a sophomore, and he was a senior at this time. And Harry uh, was a good defensive lineman. He was good thinking, and he had a really decent side for Division Three, and he did very well. But one of the things is that Harry also was part of the theater group, and he was a journalist. And um, he wanted also, he knew where he wanted to go in his life, and he was thinking about going to journalism and stuff. And so he went to Taiwan in his second semester of college, and then he stayed the third semester and over the summer. And when he came back to play defensive tackle, he went from 250 pounds that he came back from Taiwan at 150 pounds. And the coach was like, he, I thought he was going to have a stroke. Because when Harry showed up just before our two-a-day sessions in football, he was a skinny, tall guy who was supposed to be our starting defensive tackle. And our coach was livid. And they put him on a special diet and, and made him eat and not do as many exercises so that he could bulk up again and put him in the weight room. And the reason was is because he had no strength. He had been eating a lot of rice and not food to, to gain weight and uh, hardly any carbs. And here he was so skinny that we were afraid that he was going to get blown off the ball for playing football. And you see, God comes here through Peter and says to us, you need good nutrition. You need the word of God in you to battle this stuff that you're going to deal with in life. Because it is not easy. You all know that. You know how hard life can be in a family. You know how hard it can be at work. You know how hard it can be in the world. And in order to battle this, and especially when sometimes you get into sideways with somebody, you need to handle it in God's way and not in your own. Otherwise, you're not fulfilling the will of God. And so that's why Peter then says, Put on the pure milk of the word of God so that you can grow in respect to your salvation. And he's not only talking about eternal life here. He's talking about your salvation from yourself in this life. And that you can see the kindness of the Lord and how it's prepared you for the things of this life. And that you do it God's way. And then he goes on to say, he encourages the body. He says, you're living stones. And coming to him was the living stone which has been rejected by man, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up into the spiritual house of a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders reject, this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to doom they were also appointed. And Peter here says to us, now look, folks, our cornerstone. He says, not only do you look at the word of God, but now you look at the living stone, which is Jesus Christ. He's the anchor for which we stand on and we build this house. And he's talking about us being built up in Christ and being built up in the church and that we're living stones that fit in as we rest on the cornerstone of Christ and as we are built up to meet what God demands. And notice what he says in verse 4. He says, he is the living stone. In verse 6, he's the cornerstone. And then he says, he's the, verse 7, the capstone. And then in verse 8, he says, he's the stone that causes men to stumble. Four different functions that Jesus Christ fulfills in this passage. He's the stone which the builders reject. The Jews didn't want any part of him. And that he was also the stone that God chose. That men did not. And a stone that's precious to every believer, that is us, Jesus Christ. He's the living stone in which we anchor our lives on. And the church then, you and I fit into this as his living stones. As the body of Christ, we rest on him by faith and that we look to him for our future as the capstone as we live this life and we want to please him with our lives. And he moves us from, you see, the physical word to the living word, which is Jesus. And having us focus on that living word, that living stone, the cornerstone of our lives. This is what Peter is pointing them to for strength in the battle. And there's a sadness here. He said, not only is he the cornerstone, not only is he the foundation stone, not only is he a capstone, but he's also a stone that people stumble over. Unfortunately or sadly, there's people who stumble over Christ and they detach themselves. But it doesn't change Christ. His deity is the same. His sacrifice on the cross is the same. The problem is they stumble over him and they can't get any further and they do not give their life to Christ. And he says, you and me, we are a holy priesthood. You and I are set apart to be priests of our God. And that it's been prophesied about this living stone. And that God has pulled you and I away from the world. And that you and I, our purpose is to be priests. When Jesus died on the cross. And as he was up there, he gives out those loud calls. Back in the temple in the Holy of Holies. This thick curtain that used to separate men and women from the presence of God and the atonement. Only the priest could go in once a year. And only a priest could go into was split in half. 
and torn apart. And we were given access, full access to God. And what Peter is saying, you are the priest. You're the one who are the bridge. And that's what priest means. It means bridge builder to God. And that you are the bridge builder. You're the priesthood. And we're talking about a doctrine which is known as the priesthood of all believers. That we are the ones who build the bridge. And we are part of this royal priesthood. And that we are the ones who do that. You know, it's interesting. It doesn't come without sorrow. Let me tell you that right now. In the book of Revelation, it talks about the people who are seeing all the destruction that God and the plagues that God is calling out. And they are saying that there are horses who up to their necks the blood is flowing. That's how gruesome it is. And they still refuse to believe in God. And they curse him. And they gnash their teeth rather than repent. In the last times... The Bible foresees this. And folks, there are people who I am convinced that don't want him either. That stumble over the stumbling stone of Christ. I had one the other day. About four months ago, A young man came through my path of life, and he'd been an alcoholic for over 35 years, now in his 50s. And he was finally ready to make the change. Well, I got him into a program in North Carolina, and I worked on it, and I sent he didn't have any money, so I even sent my own money to pay for his going and getting an entrance fee into this program. And when the day came, he said, no. Can't do it. And he made up all kinds of excuses. And, and then I called him back, and he wouldn't answer his phone. Then I found out through the grapevine, of course, that he had left the city and gone to another city and he was going to try it with a friend who also had a drinking problem. <laughs> and so I prayed and said, well, Lord, you're going to have to do something with this. And um, I contacted the program and usually they don't send back the money, but they sent me back his entrance fee of about $250. And... Um, Two months later, last Friday night, I get a call on my cell phone. It was him. And um, he said, how you doing, Pastor Dave? I love you, man. You're my pastor. I'm thinking, okay. And then he said, well, the reason I'm calling you is because I've been diagnosed with stage four melanoma cancer in my throat. And it's inoperable. And they say the chance of me making it are not very good. And that they're going to try to blast it with chemo. 
And so I said, well, what have you done about your future? If you do die, which it sounds like you are, what have you done with Christ? Well, you know, I, I think I got some time yet. Are you kidding me? They have told you you got stage four cancer in your throat and the 99% chance that you're going to die and you're still refusing to trust in Jesus. And I went at it again. I said, you know, Christ loves you and maybe this is your time to get yourself right with him so that you can go into eternity with Jesus and be forgiven from all your sins. Yeah, well, let's check out and see how this goes. Oh, my goodness. What will it take? And here the Bible says, he's still stumbling over the rock. It's an offense. Peter tells us, you're going to have times like that of people that you love, that you want them to have it, you want it more than they do, and they don't. You need to trust me. And I said to him, well, let me send you some materials that you promise you'll read me and then you'll call me and we can talk about them. I'm going to send him some Billy Graham tracks so that maybe he can get at least the knowledge of how to give his life to Christ and maybe at the last minute of his life he can trust Christ with his soul. But here's a man who is dying and is still stumbling over the rock. Yesterday, had two funerals. And yesterday morning, our brother Ron, Brett McReynolds, we laid him to rest. And what a wonderful opportunity for me to be able to stand here in this pulpit and rejoice even though I was so brokenhearted that he died. Ron was a fighter. Ron, in, in, in 60, 64 weeks, he had 44 chemo treatments and still lived to tell him. In fact, they took his body and sent it to KU because they wanted to study it, how he could take so much in his body. He had 59 transfusions. And yet he was here every Sunday with his mask on. Whenever he could be here, he wanted to build his relationship with Christ. He got cancer from overcoming cancer five years ago. And then wound up getting leukemia from the cancer treatments he had for that other cancer. From the breast cancer he had. And here he was. And yet yesterday, I got the call two weeks ago from his wife on the way to the hospital where he died. They couldn't, he had a heart attack. And yet to be able to know that Ron is with Jesus today in his presence because he trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior. 
and that he is in the presence of Jesus now. What hope? I wanted to offer that to this young man, and he refused. But here the Bible says to us, we're royal priesthood, we're chosen race. Peter is telling these people, you are a special brand. And even though you're going to go through difficult trials in your life, you're a special group of people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's what we are, folks. So that we can proclaim the excellency of him who's called us out of the darkness into the marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are a people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And as we back through this verse, we see that we receive mercy. We are not going to get what we deserve, but rather we're going to get the grace of God, which is what Jesus bought for us. And we've done nothing for it, but he's given it to us and he washes away our sins and gives us eternal life. That's the mercy and grace that God has given to us. He called us out of the darkness to see his marvelous light. And we're a holy priesthood and we're the bridge to other people's lives. The hood means community. And we're the community of priests who build bridges to people's lives so they can see the light of God. And that we're not separated from people or isolated. We are separated because we're different, but we don't isolate. We want them to hear the wonderful gospel and that we don't get contaminated. There are people who go to monasteries who want to run away from the world so that they don't get touched by the world's contamination. That's not the way to do it because you're still with yourself and you're still a sinner. The Bible says we're in the world but not of the world and we are to minister as priests to build bridges to people's lives who are like ours that need to have the hope of eternal life. And what Jesus did for them on the cross. And we have to ask ourselves, who am I? And the word of scripture says today, you are a priest. You're a holy priest. You're a royal priest. You're a priest of the kingdom of God, who is the God of all eternity. You're his priest you're one of his chosen to be able to minister to others. You're a royal priest. A bridge builder. And you're there to declare God's glory and to show other people how to get there. Paul Little said it so well. He says, we're like beggars showing other beggars where they can find the bread of life. Here, Peter says, no, you are royal priest. You're the king's special envoys in this world. And that we are God's possession who loves you, gave himself for you and spilled his precious blood for you. That's how special you are. And he's put you in his priesthood as a builder a bridge builder. 
And he says, you're going to be seen as a stranger, as an alien. You're going to be different, but don't let that bother you because you're the king's royal priesthood. And then he says, you're aliens and strangers. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul, and keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in that day of visitation. And what he's saying there, he says, keep your life pure. Walk as God's child. Different from the world, not giving yourself to the sins of this world. And as you walk, they may not trust him now. But on the day in which he returns, they'll remember who you are and how you lived. And even though they may have falsely accused you, on that day, they will see the truth in your life. And that you'll be a witness to them of God's glory and grace in you. And so that they can see the stone in whom they need to put their hope in, the foundation, Jesus Christ, who saves their soul. You know, for some people, it's very hard for them to see that. I was reading about a pioneers, California and Oregon, and on the eastern slopes of the Rockies, there was a large stone in the way of the wagons. And they pushed it aside because it got in the way. Later on, near the stream that they pushed it away from, people were wanting to cross the stream, and so they pushed it into the stream. And they used it to jump over the water and get to the other side. Then years passed, and an old settler finally settled the land and took that stone. It was so different and so precious that he built a log cabin, but then he decided to put it in front of his house because it was just something special. He couldn't figure out what it was. And then, two generations later, a grandson a great-grandson came who was a geologist and looked at the rock and discovered that that rock was just not any rock, but it was a lump of pure gold. <laughs> you see, a lot of people miss it. You are God's priest. Build that bridge. Show them the preciousness of our Savior. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you so much for how precious you are. I want to thank you for giving us the stone which at times when we were younger stumbled over.
then after our hearts were warmed by your love, we accepted you into our hearts. And you became the foundation stone, the cornerstone for our lives. And have also become the capstone in which we aim towards. And in the process, Lord, you have called us and made us your holy nation, your royal priest, your holy priest. Help us, Lord, to live that, to build those bridges and love people, to seeing the most precious thing in all of eternity that they can have, which is you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's close by having our benediction and its closing song. Please rise. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.